Hello, welcome to another episode of the Brain Food Show. This one is, tell me, we're on part six of our Final mm-hmm. Frontier or Epic Space. One of these is the working title, one of them is not. It goes live as the Final Frontier. But no, for, for, for some reason... David has taken to naming every document an epic space series, while the actual name of this series is of, is the Final Frontier. So uh, that's been helpful and easy on me. <laughs> Thanks. It's because I can never spell Frontier right. I get it wrong every single time. Uh, is this is this the final part? This, this is, is part the six. final part. It doesn't have to be, but I decided we should move on because we're probably losing everyone who has no interest in space. Yeah, it is. I, I feel like this is the space podcast. I mean, how many episodes do we have overall? Like twenty? This is like a third of our episodes now. <laughs> yeah. and is it even twenty? I have so I have so many more we could we could we could do for this space series, but I'm I'm cutting myself off. I think I want to put a six month veto on. A, yeah. On, on space yeah i like space but I, i'm aware that not everyone likes space yeah. um so uh, do we know what's coming up next week by the way vague ideas but no i haven't settled on exactly ideas. i have different options i'm not sure okay okay no worries um well stay tuned subscribe to find out about that leave us a review that won't make a difference about finding it out but it does feel good if it's a good review which would be nice uh we are moving closer we we said we were going to give away a 200 dollars amazon gift card when we reached 200 reviews on itunes and then we'll just go across all the platforms and be like okay we're going to pick someone i say all the platforms i don't mean all the platforms because i know there are like a million small android and itunes apps i mean the big ones if you've you know if a friend recommended it to you, you, it's probably big enough to be on there, like Stitcher or iBox. iBox isn't a thing. That's a good <laughs> name for one. Um, these guys. So anything else we need to mention up front? I know we're moving the general plugs and stuff and uh, updates and reviews to the end of the show. So anything we need to hit before we get into it? I don't know if anyone wants to, uh, I guess if anyone wants to um, discuss anything on the forum with us, they, they can pop on or oh, yeah. email us at podcast at todayifoundout.com. Or uh, yeah, I think that's about it. We both wrote basically treatises on our opinion of the different Star Trek series. We did. There was a big thread about where to start with it. And uh, it, it clarified a lot of things for me. It clarified a lot of my thoughts about Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is something I never really thought about before. Yeah. But uh, your answer and my reply, I think, clarified something. There's a, yeah, a couple pages of reading there if anyone wants to do on a deep dive into our thoughts on Star Trek. Just in case we don't provide enough content for your, for your viewing and listening pleasure, our forum. And our opinions on said forum. What are we talking about today in part six? What is left? I feel like we've we've tackled everything in, to do with space. <laughs> yeah, today is a ton of bonus facts that hopefully people find interesting and don't know. Love it. Should we start start with uh, the first one? So what people do know. That's a good place to start. Yeah. Is on July 21st, 1969, Neil Armstrong, of course, was the first human to step onto the moon. But it turns out he almost never got a chance to do this because... He turned his application into the space program to NASA uh, a week after the June 1st, 1962 deadline. So he should not have been eligible for the second round of astronaut hirings at all. And so how did he how did he end up getting eligible? It turns out there was a guy named Dick Day who was uh, he was one of them who actually encouraged Armstrong to apply in the first place because he was quite impressed with his uh, his resume. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so. He was also uh, happened to be working as the assistant head of the flight crew operations. And uh, yeah, he took Armstrong's application, his late application when he saw it, and just slipped it in with the other resumes, just, you know, right underneath. Wow. Yeah. So that's a favor. Yeah. <laughs> Especially seeing how things worked out. Yeah. And so actually, Day has a nice quote about all this. He said, 
I really don't know why Neil delayed his application, but he did. And all the applications came to me, since I was the head of flight crew training. But he had done so many things so well at Edwards. He was so far and away the best qualified, more than any other, certainly as compared to the first group of astronauts. We, Day and Walt Williams, wanted him in. There you go. Yeah. Wow, he must have excelled. Yeah. And, and who was this first group of astronauts who he didn't... <laughs> it's like they weren't very good. You don't want to be the first person to go to space, probably. It's a little more dangerous. Well, this, they, they were literally the guinea pig group. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah, kind of like yeah, second-rate like, astronaut guys. It's like we had like microbes, then monkeys, and then, yeah, we're going to send humans. Harsh, man. These were probably... <laughs> yes. Stepping on these American heroes. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it turns... Uh, there's been various speculation as to why. I mean, he knew he knew when the deadline was. Why did he turn his application in late? And so there was some, uh, on a downer note, uh, his daughter... Two-year-old daughter Karen yeah. died. Uh, um, she died a couple months before. Um, of a, she had like a brain tumor, um, so this thought maybe he was just kind of like off, and maybe you know didn't wasn't sure if he wanted to apply or what, and then just Jesus of all the excuses, that's a pretty solid <laughs> yeah. one. Like Neil, why was your ast- why was your application like? Oh, my daughter died of brain cancer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. it's all right, Neil. That's pretty brutal. So moving 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 swiftly on. Moving swiftly <laughs> on. Yeah. <laughs> So fast forwarding a bit, you might, uh, so Armstrong now gets to be the first to be on the moon. So why? Why was he first? Why was not Buzz Aldrin able to be the one to step out there? And so uh, going back a little bit, when the when the, the three were chosen, it was actually the um, Neil Armstrong course, um, Buzz Aldrin, and then the often forgotten Michael Collins, uh, who was the uh, the uh, guy who was pilot. In the, in the command. Yeah, thing, he was right? the, the, the pilot up there. The pod. Yeah, so they were they were chosen out of a group of twenty nine who were who were trying for the uh, the the Apollo eleven mission, and yeah, so they they held a press conference NASA to announce who was the three astronauts chosen, and then uh, they was asked right away who who gets to be the first to step on the moon, and they said I we don't know, uh, we don't know yet, we haven't decided, um, and so this this kind of went around, and there was lots of speculation and stuff for the for the next several months, and um, it was generally thought Buzz Aldrin would actually get to be first because this was sort of a um, a precedent set during the Gemini program where the um, where the flight commander, uh, which in this case was Armstrong, uh, usually stayed on the mm. ship while the while the other guy went and did the spacewalking. Oh, in this case, it was thought that Buzz would probably then get to be the, the first to walk on the moon. So Neil Armstrong was in charge, right? Yeah, he was. He, but was, you, the bo- he was the captain or whatever. Yeah, but on the on the Gemini program, it was just the, not the right yeah, the commander got to usually stayed behind while the while the other guy went out. Um, so I thought, you know, okay. that was probably going to be what they would do here, maybe. Um, and also, Buzz Aldrin was very actively promoting himself to be the first. And apparently, he was quite. I remember this, and something about like they weren't sure whether his ego could take it. Or something. Yeah, that's that's that is exactly uh, one of one of the things uh, that later got said as to why why you know one of the reasons they didn't want it but they couldn't say that you know publicly so they came up with a different excuse uh when they eventually did um say all right neil armstrong gets to be the guy they announce it and so the reason they gave was that the um the eagles the 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 lamb you know uh, the hatch the way it opened uh would be kind of sort it sort of like would block aldrin from being able to get out at first because it's very tight in there and so they got their big bulky spacesuits and they have to go out and so the way it opened it would have to be Neil Armstrong would have to be the one who would first go out first before Aldrin could then go get around the door and then crawl out. And so this is the excuse they gave as to why Neil Armstrong was chosen. Um, but in fact, uh, some other some people have since said, like the uh, NASA's first flight director, Chris Kraft, and then also astronaut Al Bean said, yeah, it was mostly because they wanted Armstrong to be the one to do it because they didn't really, like you said, uh, Buzz Aldrin, his, uh, his ego, they didn't think could take it. <laughs> 
Wow. What like he'd just be like, what do they mean his ego couldn't take it? Because I know this story, but it's like, what does that mean? I think head get a little bit too big, you know, couldn't couldn't remain okay. humble, perhaps, in it. And he is a funny guy. Like if you he'd come back, any conversation would be like, What have you done lately? Oh, you know, I've uh, done this, done this. It's 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 pretty interesting. He's like, Yeah, guess what I did lately? <laughs> First man on the moon. Yeah. And Aldrin, he's a funny guy. If you read a lot of quotes for him, he's hilarious. And like, he even, I uh, can't remember, was it like a decade or two ago or something? It wasn't. He punched some guy in the face. <laughs> yeah. He told him that he what, he didn't. Is this the story you're yeah, going exactly for? Yeah, exactly. Where he punched him. Yeah. This, awesome. And this elderly Buzz Aldrin just like randomly punches <laughs> this guy in the face who said he didn't land on the moon. Um, kind of funny yeah. stuff like that. But um, Buzz Aldrin, I, I don't know. He, was, he seems a bit of a legend. Like. Yeah, but but he does get the distinction of being the one to the first to urinate while on the surface of the moon. Doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? No. What have you done lately? <laughs> first man to urinate on the moon. Yeah. It's it's something at least. In a few decades, when we got like lunar bases and stuff, all of the urinals will be named like the the Aldrin capsule yeah. or whatever. And this this was not without risk, though, as we discussed earlier. Like to be the first to try out mm -hmm. the LEM modules, little little uh, urinal system, pressurized thing. Uh, and so uh, it actually, in the Apollo experience report, they did they did um, note there was a little bit of risk there because, uh, the, uh, the, of course, the, the pressurizing the thing. But supposedly it says, a prime urine transfer design constraint for the lunar module was that the crewmen would be protected at all times from pressure differentials. But they also note it was kind of buggy at first. They had to work out the kinks. Well, you know, yeah. Aldrin, one, you know, <laughs> Big step for mankind. Yeah, uh, oh, I'm screwing up the quote there. But, potentially yeah. taking taking one for the team if things went wrong. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude. Poor Aldrin. But he succeeded. Yeah. And as far as we know, Aldrin is intact. Yeah. Um, so going back a little bit, you might at this point be wondering why he why was he called Buzz Aldrin when he was, uh, you know, his real name was Edwin Eugene Aldrin, although he did change it later, officially in 1988, to Buzz. It's a weird name. Yeah. And uh, it turns out this came from his older sister, uh, her name was Faye Ann Aldrin. She was only slightly older. She was, uh, and she, instead of calling him brother, would call him buzzer because she couldn't, you know, talk very well at the time. And so <laughs> yeah. this later got shortened to buzz. And then they just, they just went with that instead of calling him junior because his, his dad's name was also Edwin Eugene Aldrin. And uh, mm -hmm. another Buzz Aldrin name related fact is his mother is, uh, her name was Marianne, but her maiden name was Moon. Oh, yeah. there's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. That's like some, that's like the secret, you know, he was manifesting yeah. or whatever yeah. they call it, you know, that nonsense <laughs> his whole life. Yeah. Um, and then another uh, common internet rumor is that bacon, you see this a lot, bacon was the first thing eaten on the moon. And it turns out uh, this was because, um, so they had uh, their their first little meal. There was bacon, cookies, coffee, and I also had some peaches and a glass of grapefruit juice. Wait, what? Bacon cookies? That's impossible. No. Bacon, bacon and cookies. Bacon and cookies. But actually, bacon I'm sure cookies. someone out there has made bacon cookies before. But either way, um, but All right. it turns out... I'm going to add that to our follow-up. Yeah. I'm going to get us some bacon cookies. It turns out bacon was not the, the first thing eaten on the moon, as is commonly stated, nor was it cookies or peaches or any of that. It turns out Buzz Aldrin made a little communion service beforehand while they were on the far side of the moon during the radio blackout. Uh, he decided, yeah. uh, initially initially brought it up, he was going to do a public communion. Um, so have his little wafer bread or whatever and a little vial of wine, which he had. And he was going to do like a public, you know, broadcast to the earth communion. But then NASA... NASA couldn't have been cool with that, right? No. Because of the whole separation thing. Yeah, they said, they said, no, let's not do that. Instead, you know, you can do it <laughs> privately, um, which he did. 
And then, uh, so yeah, they had had some flack too before on the Apollo 8 mission when they the crew decided to read a passage from Genesis and they got a lot of um, negative back, backlash from that. So they asked him to, to go ahead and not. So the actual first thing to be eaten on the moon was not uh, bacon, but rather communion bread. There you go. Yeah. So, but that must have been like a tiny little wine yeah, or whatever. and like a tiny little vial did of he wine. Have wine. Yeah, a little vial of wine. That's awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, bacon is a pretty good thing to be eating, though. Like, yeah. I thought this astronaut food, like we well, talked about but, previously, is kind of like was it? It's probably like weird. Bacon, yeah, right? totally weird bacon. That's all like, you know, how did they? I mean, did they even have a mechanism for heating it up or anything, or is it just like no, it's probably cold yeah, right? out of a little package or something? Ripped, not yeah. not so like, good. More like ham, weird ham. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, speaking of eating in space as well, the uh, we, we kind of alluded to before, like what what they do because astronauts really don't like to poop in space, and so like uh, so they had the Russians as we talked about. They would give enemas before the so the cosmonauts would go up. And uh, yeah, but they got to pee. We found out they have to not pee, poop more often, right? Wasn't that? Yeah, yeah. And so three or four. Yeah. So this is the thing: is uh, is they do they're just the the nature of being in space. You poop a lot more. Your your digestive tract pushes everything through faster, and um, you also pee a lot more. But um, just because of the function. The new weight loss plan for <laughs> yeah, yeah, but go to space. So one of the ways NASA, I think we forgot to mention, was one of the ways NASA gets around this is they actually feed their uh, astronauts an ultra low fiber diet. Um, before and during in space to help uh, minimize the pooping experience. I feel like we talked about that, or did I just know that? We, or did I just read we, that? We, we talked about the first part, but not the actual ultra-low-fiber diet part. Okay. Um, yeah. Ultra-low-fiber. It makes sense. Yeah, I wouldn't want to poop in space. That sounded really unpleasant. Yeah. Even that new magical device that that guy made for NASA that was like a, yeah. a crowdsourced competition. That was kind of cool. a good one. Yeah, I think was, it was part three. Yeah, but. yeah, that was good. So yeah, so uh, moving on once again... We have, mm. so everyone knows. It's moving swiftly on yeah. again, like from Armstrong's <laughs> child's brain cancer and the unpleasantness of pooping in space. Yeah, we're so rapid, pleasant episode rapid, so far. Rapid fire on this one. Yeah. Um, so you, you of course, know, well, we mostly know what Neil Armstrong first or said when he first stepped on the moon. Of course, there's a little debate over exactly what he said because there's a little fuzzy part. The and missing then, word, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, most people know that at least. But what, what was the second thing he said? What did he say after that famous line? It's going to be something really boring and technical, right? It's like the hatch is closed. Success. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Moving on to part two. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, yeah, definitely didn't have the the oomph factor here. So, if you would like to read what he said next, and the the surface is fine and powdery, <laughs> and then he says, I, <laughs> "Wow, this is plain. I can I can pick it up loosely with my toe." It adheres in fine layers like powdered charcoal to the sole and sides of my boots. I only go in a small fraction of an inch, maybe an eighth of an inch, but I can see the footprints of my boots and the treads in the fine sandy particles. That was yeah. definitely less profound. Definitely less profound. His. And uh, yeah, the um, and interesting, the first thing he said, uh, he claimed he did not know what he was going to say until he actually stepped out there. However... And oh, he, come he, on. He, yeah, exactly. Like you're not going to plan that out. And especially when you read his second lines, I mean, he clearly the first one and the seconds don't really go together. Uh-uh. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, his brother, though, said that before he went up that actually he showed him, he showed uh, Neil Armstrong, he showed his brother what he was planning on saying um, and, you know, to, just to give some feedback or whatever. But Neil Armstrong himself always claimed that he just kind of wow. spur of the moment. That would have been an awkward Christmas dinner. <laughs> What's his brother's name? <laughs> I don't remember. Do I don't remember. Just call him Jeff. And it's like Neil Armstrong and Jeff and family sitting down. It's like, so uh, Jeff, 
Why don't you tell the press about that? We, <laughs> you dick. <laughs> it made me look really cool, and now everyone knows. Yeah, now we, yeah. yeah. And, that's not that's not a good good move on his brother's part. Yeah. And so speaking of things also that uh, aren't maybe distinguished. So so this was the second thing they said on the moon. But what was the first thing they did after you know when they both they're both standing on the moon? What was the first thing NASA had them do? And it turns out, hop around like kangaroos. For science, wait, NASA had them do that. That wasn't just there. No, this was this was basically they did. They weren't sure because you have this really bulky spacesuit with a big, you know, heavy backpack on and everything. And they thought that if you would try to walk around with the with the one six gravity or whatever, that they'd just fall over backwards. Like if you try to walk around normally. Um, and yeah. so NASA's hypothesized that the best way to move around on the moon without falling over would probably be to hop around like a kangaroo. Um, to just and so this is the first like a double yeah like a two, two feet at the same hopping. time sort of thing yeah and you can google this you, there are actually video footage of this of them doing exactly this uh, hopping around mm -hmm. and then they did that for a while and then they um they tried out different other ways of moving around and they they eventually did this like loping thing you've probably seen uh where it's just kind of like not really walking not really running but kind of a weird like side to side lope forward and yeah. this is what they settled on as the best way to go. They they quickly abandoned the the kangaroo hop. Um, yeah, <laughs> but it looks kind of. Wait, couldn't they couldn't they have simulated this with like wires and stuff or like uh, weights in a pool you'd, to simulate one sixth gravity? Yeah, you'd think so, but uh, but yeah, the, the the first their best best guess for the first try was to hop around like a kangaroo, which is just kind of funny. I mean, you got these, you know, you're spending like billions of dollars to send these guys up, and then they're just like hop yeah. hop hop. Well, I, I, it kind of makes yeah. sense because, you know, this good, they know however many moon landing missions are coming. They're going to yeah. have to work out. Yeah. Like getting around is a pretty major importance. Yeah. So they'll be like, figure this out, guys, then we'll get on because this is going to be useful for the rest of the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they figured out the lope was the best way to go. And then they also spent some time uh, around this, this same time seeing how high they could jump just to, you know, for fun, mm -hmm. I guess. And, Why not? and uh, Armstrong claims he could get about six feet in the air uh, on some initial leap uh, attempts. Good lord, that's pretty. Yeah, high. this is really high, and he he thinks he could have gotten higher, but the problem was is at that distance up when he was coming back down, he started to kind of lose his balance and fall over backwards, and so they he quickly decided to uh yeah also I actually have a quote from him about this very thing. There was a tendency to tip over backward on a high jump. One time I came close to falling and decided that was enough of that. Yeah. Do you think he could get back up afterwards? Those spacesuits yeah. are fairly... Yeah, they're, they're some yeah they, they, they could. Uh, I can't remember the astronaut now. A little uh, bit later, the, the first astronaut, he was not on this mission to fall. The first astronaut to fall <laughs> over. Moon. I can't remember his name now. Uh, I had this written down somewhere, but it's not here in my notes. But um, Don't worry, it's entertaining. Yeah, he, he fell over and he said it actually was really easy to just kind of, because you're so light, he just kind of, you roll oh, over and then you yeah. just kind of do like a push up up and you just fly up in the air and you're good. Um, so That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm reading an interesting book right now. This is a little bit off topic. Well, sort of on topic. Yeah. It's a good book. Did you ever, I think we talked previously about The Martian, right? By Andy yeah. Weir, yeah. The, the book. He's just released a new oh, book really? called, uh, or maybe six months ago or something. It's been on the shelves for a while and I just picked it up at an airport recently. It's called Artemis. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, I think a nice way people described it was it does for the moon what the Martian did for Mars. But it's about the first colony on the moon and oh. in kind of a very the Martian Andy Weir way. It's really technical. He talks about how they get around and stuff and the different motions they use to run around while they're in this kind of one-sixth gravity and all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And 
the difficulties of living on the moon. I think it's maybe they've been living on there for 50 years. Mm-hmm. So it's quite cool. They've got like some tourism going mm-hmm. on and, and this kind of stuff. It, and it goes into, I like the detail. That's good. And yeah, always that's like, interesting. Yeah. I, I think if you, if you enjoy the stuff we do, we're talking about today, yeah. you'll also enjoy that book. Yeah. So yeah, very, very nice. And more interaction because there's more, more people in this one rather mm-hmm. than just one dude. Mm-hmm which I really liked about The Martian, but this, I, I was a little bit skeptical about this book mm-hmm. because I was like, ah, how are you going to do The Martian? Mm-hmm. Like what else is left? Mm-hmm. But no, it's very, it's very, very good. Yeah. Cool. So far, I'll keep you updated. Yeah. Look forward to a thrilling Artemis update in the near future from Simon. Now, does he ever mention in the book the extraterrestrial hay fever experience that some astronauts actually had? Uh, not yet. However, he does mention the need for keeping like the efforts they go to to keep the lunar dust outside mm-hmm. of the habitat because apparently it's incredibly fine and yeah. they had problems like if this gets into your lungs mm-hmm. it's not getting out and that can cause all sorts of like asbestos disease problems in the future yeah, and this, so they're very careful about this This is actually uh, it turns out jack smith schmidt i should say on apollo 17 mm-hmm. actually he was an astronaut and geologist and he is the first known person, or at least publicly known, to have that extraterrestrial hay fever. And this was the exact thing, is they would track in the space dust, which, uh, and then it would just, you know, he instantly would start to get like, you know, cough and sneezing, runny nose, the whole thing. And, uh, but, mm-hmm. but uh, and it, he said it would take a couple hours to go away. And he did claim, however, that he wasn't really the first. He was just the first to admit it because no one else wanted to. Yeah. No one else wanted to admit it in case they got grounded or they wouldn't get sent back up or whatever. But he is the first one on record, at least. Um, to have that and he said it. well he was on, on Apollo 17 right yeah. that was the last yeah. one so he's like eh, what are they going to do I'm also a ge- geologist oh he's an astronaut as well he wasn't just yeah. a geologist they ran well I suppose he's an astronaut by the nature of going to space Yeah, but it's not like he was a pilot or something and this was his career Yeah, it was he was a geologist who went to space yeah yeah, so anyways, he, he said it happened every time he would come back in uh, it would just he would track it in and then take off his you know helmet and everything and just start you know uh, coughing and everything so uh this and this also might get you wondering what does the moon smell like have you ever uh have i ever pondered what the moon smells yeah. like interesting question gotta say no i have not no it, it's never crossed my mind it turns out it's i assumed nothing just what's up there what's up there to smell exactly that's what most people would assume but it turns out the astronauts are quite adamant that it smells like spent gunpowder um and they also are oh, like a gun going off. Yeah, like or, yeah, like right after that sort of aftermath, and also it's quite a pleasant smell. Yeah, and they also claim it also tastes like uh, like gunpowder, which is really weird because um, weird thing. Yeah, it's not who's tasted gunpowder. Yeah, it's not at all made of you know like the the similar composition at all of gunpowder, but this is what they claim. Oh. Um, but of course, your your sense of um, your taste is such so influenced by your sense of smell. So maybe that's what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like like you said, it's super abrasive, uh, it clings to everything, and uh, almost impossible to get off, they they also say, uh, to brush it off. Um, but apparently, it also feels, like when you just feel it, like a, a clump of it, it feels like soft snow, apparently. Um, but also yeah. super abrasive, because it turns out it's made primarily of silicon dioxide glass that's just been in like tiny, tiny, minuscule little sand particle p- size pieces. Um, that sounds super unpleasant. Yeah, and also has like iron, calcium, and magnesium primarily. But that that silicon dioxide glass, I imagine, is what like what you're talking about with the lungs and everything. That's probably not so good yeah. to breathe. And so they, interestingly though, when you get back on Earth, the the uh, the moon dust smells like nothing. Um, so they were uh, kind of looking as to why why this might be the case, and they think maybe it's just like the desert rain effect when you first get moisture uh, on something that's like completely dry. So the moisture in the air they're breathing once they bring it in. 
Um, it kind of has that, like the releases all the smells that are kind of laying dormant in the in the sand and stuff and on the ground. Okay. Um, and then another thing they thought maybe there also might be some sort of oxidation ha- taking place. So when you're exposing this to the oxygen, there's some, some sort of oxi- oxidation happening, which maybe gives that burnt smell a little bit. So like the gurnt, burnt gunpowder smell happening, but maybe. Both seem pretty logical. Yeah, but apparently once once by the time they get back to the earth, the, there's, it doesn't smell like anything. So That would maybe lend credence to that oxidization thing. Once it's uh, yeah. you know fully oxidized, there's nothing more to burn. And so, yeah. Uh, speaking of burning things, so one uh, one of my these transitions very good today, by the way. My compliments. One of my uh, favorite space facts, besides uh, besides the one that we all are made of stuff that's you know forged in the heart of a star, like every everything everything you see and all that. Some of it in a dying star mm-hmm. as well, which is just crazy to think about. Like when you pick up a rock, you know, just like a random rock or like a like a gold, like on a wedding ring or something. Like it's just like ah, yeah. Art of a dying star right there. But anyways, anyways, the what, what I actually wanted to talk about here was not that, but actually how fast you are moving right now, just sitting there in your chair. Oh, this, I, I know the star one is cool and it's like, this more blew my mind when I was first learning about chemistry and stuff. But this moving through space one, I think maybe requires a, a conception of size that a small kid doesn't have. Yeah. And this is pretty my or size and speed. This is pretty mind blowing. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to look at my notes on this one because I I, I uh, wrote it all down and there's lots of numbers, but to to sort of uh, sum it up here. So so we're we're moving around, we're orbiting around the sun right now, just sitting on Earth, you know, at approximately sixty seven thousand miles per hour or one hundred eight thousand kilometers per hour. All right, mm-hmm. all the while. The Earth is, of course, rotating on its axis at about 1,070 miles per hour or 1,721 kilometers per hour. Now, mm-hmm. on top of that, that's not just all, all the moving you're doing. So our whole solar system is rocketing around space around the center of the Milky Way at around 559,234 miles per hour or around 900,000 kilometers per hour, which is, you know, crazy. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty Darn quick. And then on top of that, our galaxy is hurtling around through space at around 671,080 miles per hour or about 1,080,000 kilometers per hour with respect to our local group of galaxies. So, And that's like only with respect to our local group of galaxies. Yeah, I mean, because I guess because how do you how do you even like that? measure motion like that when you're, you know, in space, space is Dude. a whole lot of nothing. So you have to kind of give a reference point of some sort. The fact that we can pretty much nail down to the tenth mile an hour, like six that six hundred seventy-one thousand and eighty miles per hour, that's how precisely we can. That's how fast you can drive. Like you drive on the motorway. <laughs> like that's nuts. Yeah, just how precisely we can nail. Well, and down. just uh, all those numbers together. Just think about the motion. Like it would be cool to have like a little animation showing it, like showing how yeah. fast. And when you're just like sitting there. You know, or maybe you're walking along at, you know, two or three miles per hour or whatever. Uh, so, so to get like a perspective on it, I looked up what that was in relation to the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 0.1 wow. the speed of light. Yeah. Uh, and then I was curious about time dilation. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the faster you go to the speed of light. And I was like, wow, so we, we must be moving slightly slower because of the, you know, 0.1% uh, the speed of light. That's got to make some sort of difference, right? Mm-hmm. They were flying those atomic clocks around the Earth yeah. in planes and it made a difference. Yeah. Doesn't really make a big difference. I thought this would make a big difference, but it's like, no, it's like 0.00001% of, uh, you know, compared to what we would call normal time. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because I was kind of always thinking, aren't, you know, things moving different speeds 
in the galaxy and, and the universe as a whole, and I'm sure they are, mm -hmm. but like, as time would not be a constant. But, you know, time dilation, unless you're going really close to the speed of light or something's really heavy, doesn't actually make a huge difference at these kind of relatively slow speeds in relation to the speed of light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which yeah. I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah. And so this had me all wondering. I was so thinking about these numbers, how fast we're moving. What, how much energy would it take to stop the Earth from orbiting the sun in its tracks? Just instantly stop. Oh, it's going to be a lot. It is. Yeah. yeah so I, uh, <laughs> it's gonna be a lot. I did the math and it turns out. How fast were we moving again? Uh, uh, what? Fast. Uh, 67,000 miles per hour. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fairly big rock. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so I did the math and uh, it turns out. Uh, it would take 2.6 times 10 to the 33 joules or 7.4 times 10 to the 29 watt hours or 6.3 times 10 to the 17th megatons of TNT. And I did this last one because I wanted right, to see. Dude, I got no idea what that means. You got to have some perspective yeah, this on is, that, right? I did. That's why I did the last one uh, to try to give, cool. give better perspective. Still like 6.3 times 10 to the power of 17 megatons of TNT is still like a bit All like right. uh, out there for All me. All right. So yeah, so you have... Now, you think about what's the biggest, you know, nuke that's ever been uh, exploded. The Saar bomber. Yeah, exactly. And that one was... And they did it half yeah, the yield it was supposed yeah. to be. This is amazing. Yeah, and so that half yield was still 50 megatons, which is just crazy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and for further reference there, that's about 3,000 times more powerful than the bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. And so, mm -hmm. how many of these... Well, a, megat a megaton is a thousand tons, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, so kil kilotons. A thousand tons. kilotons. Okay, so 50 million tons of DND. Yeah. And so, so <laughs> if we just, you know, just throw out any sort of obliterating scenario, like obliterating the earth by doing uh -huh. this, or any sort of real world issue like that, how many of those, of those 50 megaton nukes would it take to actually stop the earth, you know? And it turns out, to, to put it all in perspective, 12.6 quadrillion of those to stop the earth in its track. How many zeros is that? Oh. What's it? I've got it. It's twelve. It's twelve thousand, basically, yeah. followed by one, two, three, four, six, twelve more zeros. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, actually, they saw vomit. Yeah, like fifteen, fifteen digits past the twelve, though total. Twelve followed by fifteen, yeah. or twelve thousand followed by twelve. Yeah, yeah. it's a. It, it's a lot yeah. of saw bombers. Quadrillion, yeah. And of course, I would guess that would obliterate the Earth. Yeah, I mean, like the no question, actually, that that would obliterate the Earth <laughs> to stop it like well, that. Well. Um, You'd have to make like a really big anchor a really long way. You'd, you could do like an immovable string attached to the earth and then have the explosion go oh. off really, really far away. This is the thing to do. Do that and do it on some sort of like a like a stretchy cord. And so it wouldn't happen all at once, like bolted. Well, I assume you could you could ratchet it up so you wouldn't have to set off all of your saw bombers at, at once. You could set you could because you'd otherwise the acceleration would just turn the earth to dust yeah exactly so you'd have some sort of like really thick rubber rubberized or like stretchy cord wrapped around the earth and then you have i'm gonna have to say they're probably not going to be able to do this with rubber yeah and then you have uh, some magical future material something that stretches ish and then yeah. you have the, the rocket with these nukes you know rock nuke the 12 quadrillion yeah 12 quadrillion of them <laughs> and then uh and then yeah you just start light light it off and it'll slowly slow the earth to the point where it will stop what's what's this for is this like we talked about this last week if the sun enters its red giant phase it will almost all yeah would it absorb us it was like we yeah, were right on it the was it's, it, right? it's you know different models say different things but it seems like yeah we're either way i mean like we're gonna be toast so at some point in the next Several million, yeah. or is it billion? A billion. It's a long way in the future. Yeah, it was like uh, um, one billion for the Earth to lose all its water, 
on the surface. And then uh, I think it was like five billion for the the peak of the red giant phase or so. And then yeah, so what we could do is this the reverse. Don't stop the Earth. We need to speed it up so that we go further out in the in the orbit. That's what we need to do here. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is, I mean, we're in space. So once we've kicked off those SAR bombers, all twelve quadrillion of them. We're going to need another 12 quadrillion to stop it. Well, see, that's that's the beauty of it. You got the red giant going and you want to just keep going further and further out until, of course, the point where the red giant collapses in on itself. And then, you know, but, you know, that takes a long time. It's not going to be a black hole. That no. Of those white yeah, white dwarfs. dwarfs. Yeah, it doesn't have enough mass okay. to go supernova, unfortunately, because that's cool. Unfortunately? Well, it's kind of cool. It's like, dude, Tempor- it's like we finally escaped the giant red dwarf. Guess what we've got now? A giant black and hole. And it happens so quickly, too. That's the amazing thing. So these other phases take so long, like even on a galactic timescale, how how long it takes to you know do this. And then when the actual collapse happens, it happens just so rapidly that it just... And then in the end, the amount of energy, you know, when you do have those supernovas and stuff, can eclipse for briefly where you can actually eclipse like the like a galaxy's brightness an entire galaxy just like you know this this supernova Good explosion Lord. it's amazing of course it how it depends on how far away it is and all that but you know crazy are we talking galactic level fast or regular fast uh regular fast if memory serves and i i can't remember off the top of my head but i i definitely supernovas are very cool i mean enormously devastating but in the same way like a nuclear bomb is is cool I'm doing the air quotes there, and no one can see that it's a podcast. You'd think this would be a simple Googleable thing. Yeah, I searched speed of a supernova. Shockwave, 8 miles per second. Good lord, it's pretty quick. How quickly does a supernova happen? Oh, I've got one here. Very quickly, 23% the speed of light. Wow. I just got that from Universe Today. I didn't read the article. That is crazy, because... Speed of light, so the distance between the, the sun and the earth right now is like eight minutes for the speed of light. That's how fast that is. So if you're saying, what did you say? Point twenty-three percent So you're talking that it, the supernova would collapse from here to the sun in, in 20, what, 32 minutes? Yeah-ish. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, okay. Here's the, here's the paragraph from the relevance article. The outer edges, and thanks to universetoday.com for this, the outer edges of the core collapse inwards at 70,000 meters per second, which is about 23% the speed of light. In just a quarter of a second, infalling material bounces off the iron core of a star, creating a shockwave of matter propagating outwards. The shockwave can take a couple of hours to reach the surface. Wow. There yeah, well, and then after that, isn't it, Super if nice. I'm vaguely remembering here, so don't take this as complete fact, but I believe it's something like the size of like the UK is the result uh, of just this like mass, this white hot mass in the end, all this mass, but it still has like a, an insane amount of mass of so the same sort of, you know, gravitation and everything, but it's just this tiny, tiny little thing uh, left. I should say, for, I should say for the white, for the white, white dwarf uh, and all that. Yeah. 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 This, this whole part of physics is mind-blowing because you think like you think you know gold's heavy or whatever Mm -hmm. but then it's like even with a dense element like that the distance between those protons and nucleons and the electrons on the outside is just there's a great youtube video done by it's i think it's some uh, oxford professor or something and he's like standing in his lecture hall and he's like here's the nucleus and he just goes and walks and walks and walks outside the lecture hall, outside the town, and he's like, and here are the electrons. So there's, you know, everything is just empty space, 
until it collapses all down. And then it's like when all those electrons and protons and neutrons are pushed together in some super dense material, you can understand why. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that is dense. Mm -hmm. And then the whole black hole thing, so dense that light itself cannot escape. It's terrifying. We should, yeah. Like, I know I said veto space for six months, but dude, this is, I, I, this is very cool. Should should we go over the life cycle of the star? Cause that's actually pretty fascinating on an episode. That could be a fascinating, we should do a science episode sometimes like a fun science. Yeah, we should. Okay. Put it in the notes. (laughs) We'll, we revisit this. Do we have another fact? Are we are we done with the saw bomber blowing yeah. up stuff? And it- yeah, I think we we can move on from there. Um, oh, so another speaking of um, speaking of the sun, we have so everyone. If you ask them what color is the sun, we'll say yellow. Everyone will say this. I, I don't know. Yeah, or if you're done, <laughs> everyone knows the sun is actually white. Am yeah. I right? Am well, I, I should or say did I just read the I notes. Should, <laughs> yeah, I should say within the human visual spectrum, it is white, uh, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, it, yes. within our little narrow uh, ability to perceive light. That that is what it is. It is white. If you saw it from space and didn't burn your retinas off, uh, it would be mm-hmm. it would be white. Always yeah. a good thing. Wait, can astronauts like look at the sun? And it, it, so this is if you're in mm-hmm. space, say you're on the ISS and you're looking mm-hmm. at the sun, it's white. Uh, yeah, well, I, they have the little shields, sun shields to protect their eyes, right? Okay. So I don't know what it would yeah. look like in that. But yeah, if they if you just like took a picture of it and you had a camera that wouldn't, you know, it would be, you know, filter out what it needed to. So the camera to not break, which is actually one of the Apollo missions. They actually made this mistake of pointing the camera at the sun and it killed the camera. And so all the footage from that mission is is just not there anymore. Um, oh. Yeah, all the stuff they recorded um, so after that point, I should say. Wow. That's almost as devastating as when audition crashes when you're recording a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost. Uh, but yeah, so it is It is in the human visual spectrum uh, white. It would look white to you, but of course, when we, we see it as yellow because of the, the scattering that's happening in the atmosphere, um, kind of scattering off those blue and violet wavelengths scattering around, which is also why the sky looks blue, which is crazy because if you think about it, if this scattering did not happen, the sky would look black in the daytime, even though everything else would seem just as light, which would be kind of a weird a weird thing. Whoa, that's terrible. That's totally yeah, weird. Uh, it would weird. And, the, and like the day and the night, uh, the difference would be, of course, you would see the stars in the night because the sun, you know, the, the light from the sun would, would stop you from being able to see any stars, I'm quite sure. Um, but uh, in that scenario... Wait, hold on. You'd be able to see the stars at night? Yeah, you'd, you could see the stars at night. Yeah, I meant uh, you would not be able to see them in the day. So that would be the difference. Uh, so in the day, in that scenario, the sky would look black. Um, but at night, all of a sudden, all these stars would appear. And, you know, you could see the little halo of the Milky Way or not halo, but, you know, the little glow of the Milky Way. Um, and everything. I know it's just because we're used to it, but the idea of just having the sun in the sky with it being completely black while you're standing on yeah. Earth is really like unpleasant. It's it like would. almost uh, like a, a shiver down the spine. Like. Yeah, so it, it is because that blue also, it looks quite nice, you know, all the ox- oxygen yeah. and stuff getting scattering that light. And it really, it really takes, it, it really helps mask the fact that you are just on a ball yeah. of rock hurtling through space at however fast it yeah. is. It's kind of like, oh no, it's like our, our little world yeah. and it's like encloses me and makes me feel comfortable. No, you are, you should be terrified. You should. And the <laughs> thing is, is this might be a good thing because it, I think people could do with being reminded that our little our little rock is just like a spaceship and it's the only spaceship we have that with it you know can sustain us you know uh indefinitely dude i had i had a i had a great theory the other day or, or a great idea for a charity mm-hmm. it would be about i mean it'd be hard to know but i really think like you know bad people from history mm-hmm. like stalin mao hitler they should be the people we're sending to space yeah like it shouldn't be like our scientists and like great yeah. minds 
we should get all the dudes who are going to do horrible stuff. And I, I, I mean just dudes. It's rarely women. It's always the dudes who are the bad guys. So we should send the... And we did like a, a biographics video, which is another channel I have about like... We, we often do these like horrible people. And I'm like, we should send these guys to space because then they always get this bigger perspective. And it's like... If Hitler was in space, he'd be like, oh, wow, we all won. Maybe the Jews aren't so bad. <laughs> it's like, these are the, so I think there should be a charity for testing people to see if they're going to become like terrible people and then send them all to space. Or, or if you're going to be a world leader. Or just leave them yeah. there. <laughs> or as a requirement of being a world leader, you must go into space and spend a few weeks in space looking back at Earth. You know, maybe even that's even maybe better. even that's even better. Travel than away away a little bit so it gets real small before you're allowed to come back, and then yeah, yeah. I think yeah, yeah. you become president or whatever, your dictator, whatever, whatever world leader you want to be. Uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta go spend a couple of weeks in space looking back at looking back. Here. If you get elected to a country that is recognized by the European uh, by the United Nations, you get. You have to go on a loop around the moon. Wasn't SpaceX talking about sending someone around the moon next year? Oh, really? I did not hear that. Or maybe it wasn't SpaceX. Or one of these space companies mm-hmm. was someone wanted a private flight to loop around the moon and oh. come back. Let's do that for all world leaders. Yeah, yeah. That would be like yeah. a reason okay. to actually want to be a world leader then, wouldn't it? Yeah. It'd be like, why are you running for office? Space will be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be an awesome free trip. Free trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Billions of dollars. <laughs> So I, I was also kind of wondering, so we know like the sun is approximately 4.6 billion years old in earth years, but I was kind of wondering how, how, how old is the sun in sun years, you know, as it's orbiting the Milky Way. And so uh, oh, once okay. again, uh, if you crunch the numbers, so it takes about 225 to 250 or so million years for the sun to make one <laughs> orbit around the Milky Way. Earth years. Uh, yes, yes. Re- regular, yes, regular, just regular ones. And then, uh, so if you if you then crunch the number of its age, it's actually about 18 or 19 years old. So it just it just became an adult sun, apparently. Oh, yeah. there you go. And which would also put it, wouldn't that, that would also put it when it's dying at around 30, in its mid-30s. So it's not going to... Oh, that's, that's unfortunate. Yeah. That doesn't have, it's like halfway there. And so uh, further to that, uh, how many... So you have the International Space Station orbiting around the Earth. How many sunrises and sunrise and sunsets do they get to see every day? Oh, it's tons. They get one like half an hour every yeah, half if hour. You had, if you had to guess, what would you what would you just guess? Uh okay. Well, now I've got a feeling it's half an hour, and there's 24 hours an hour. So I'm going to say like 48 or 50. I'm going to round up 50 uh, just to make it a round number. Uh, it turns out it is it is actually. Uh, they see a sunrise or sunset a total of 15 to 16 times every 24 mm-hmm. hours. So it's every 45 minutes. So or how so. often do they? So you were, you were close, day, but yeah. you know. Not bad. Yeah, yeah not bad. Uh, not bad. So, yeah, kind of interesting. Okay. That would be that would be so weird. You know, if you're on there and especially like, I know we covered this at one point, but like what a, what if, um, what does a Muslim person do? Yeah, breakfast is yeah, like breakfast is going to be a nightmare yeah, as well. Like when you- yeah. <laughs> so what does what like the Islamic people do when they're in space? You know, the astronauts that are Islamic. And so they're supposed to... Did we do... Was this a podcast or a video? We this did a video a, a while ago. And I, it was quite fascinating because it turns out they actually had a... Um, I didn't I didn't put this in the notes, but I'm, uh, it turns out they had the... Uh, so I might get some of the details wrong, but they have... Um, they had an actual fix, official convention or whatever from, you know, whatever leaders of the Islamic yeah. faith to actually decide what should they do uh, in this case. And it, and uh, it turns out is basically you give it your best effort on the twenty four hour cycle on one you know the when they're supposed to in the normal kind of twenty four hour cycle and otherwise 
you know, because even some doing some of the motions and stuff is difficult when you're free falling around the earth. So they were. Uh, oh, come on. There was the guy who was like experimenting with his different <laughs> yeah. shower positions yeah. in episode three. But it was basically give it your best effort. And also if, if NASA yeah. or whoever has you doing something, you just you, you know, you just delay and do it when you can or whatever was their thing. And it, but what, it, what it, the other things that came out of that convention I thought was fascinating was that the official position was that the uh, the Islamic faith uh, should approach aliens peacefully, uh, as far as the uh, this was the official delegates in in they had some scripture or whatever, which was I just thought that was quite interesting. Their their official position uh, position was to welcome welcome aliens, which is not. I should hope so. What's the other well, option? The outward. Well, what's hostile. the other option is like every other option that humans would always do is just like quick blow them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get the nukes. Yeah. Every every movie from the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties, and probably not unrealistic. Defcon one, unrealistic about what the uh, the militaries of the world's first uh, impulse reaction would be. Uh, but at least we have one one major world faith official position says, "Nope, make peace with them." And so you know, we get we get the other major world relig- religions on board. We're we're that's good. Uh, I think I think I think it'd be possible. You think so? Um, you think so? Most of them are all think- about all about peace and and love and all that. It's a shame they can't get <laughs> yeah, along a little bit. That's better, the peace but, uh, and love as long as not with each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that's cool. I, I think, like, that whole thing about just do your best effort. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Because, you know, yeah. it does, it, I don't know, maybe this is just my personal belief, but it's kind of does whatever god or power yeah. that you pray to or whatever, it's probably going to be okay as long as you're making it. Yeah, and this was their exact point. It's like, just, it's like, yeah, yeah, the, the, the. Try yeah, your best. do your best and uh, it, it's fine, whatever. And even like I said, there was also some sort of fasting thing that well, the, one of the astronauts that did go up, it was during some fast that they were supposed to be doing. And uh, he and he was just like, so I can't really do that, though. And they were like, yeah, just do it when you get back. Quite All quite reasonable. I need food and space to survive. Yeah, it was all quite reasonable and uh, interesting. Yeah. Although it'd be like, I get back from space. I'm really looking forward to like, oh, yeah. what have you been? I, I don't know, for me, it's like, oh, man, I could really go for a KFC right now. So, mm, and nope. like, hey, welcome to your 50 days of fasting. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right oh <then>. no. <laughs> Why? Why Especially now? after all that really bad space food, you know, that they're... Exactly. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so next? speaking of astronauts, did you know the character of Uhura on Star Trek was the inspiration... Speaking of, dude, all of your transitions were so good. Speaking of astronauts, <laughs> yes. she's not an astronaut. Uh, so, but she was the inspiration for quite a few astronauts actually becoming uh, astronauts, and Ooh, particularly to the story at hand. We'll start with Ronald McNair. Credit is due. That was, a, that was a better transition then. I'll yeah, yeah. Ron- nice Ronald McNair and Mae Jemison, where they both became astronauts mm-hmm. because when they were kids, they... They saw that character and they wanted to be astronauts. And uh, we have a we have a great quote from McNair's. Oh, I should mention McNair. Unfortunately, died on the Challenger explosion, so that that didn't oh. work out. But um, his brother his brother did have a, a good quote about uh, sort of his inspiration there. And when he saw the the Star Trek and everything as a kid. Now, Star Trek showed the future where there were black folk and white folk working together. I just looked at it as science fiction because that wasn't going to happen, really. But Ronald saw it as science possibility. He came up during a time when there was Neil Armstrong and all those guys. So how is a colored boy from South Carolina wearing glasses, never flew a plane? How is he going to become an astronaut? But Ron was one who didn't accept societal norms as being his norm, you know? That was for other people. And he got to be aboard his own. Starship Enterprise. That's nice. Yeah. And uh, she also, uh, the, the character, I should say, Uhura, was also the reason, one of the big reasons Whoopi Goldberg wanted to become an actress. Um, 
I knew yeah. that one. And that's why she was on Star yeah, Trek. And that, eventually, that was, right? Yeah, quite. Uh, she has a hilarious quote uh, that she says, though, when she first saw it, she's she turns on the TV, Star Trek comes on as a little girl, and she sees the character of Uhura, and she has a, a hilarious quote here. <laughs> come here, mom. Everybody, come here. Come quick. There's a black lady on television, and she ain't no mate. <laughs> and this sounds so funny to us now, but like at the... <laughs> why? It's like, really? When was yeah, this? At the time, 60s? at the time, almost literally... This was the only black character who wasn't a servant or a maid on TV and in most movies. This was just... Wow. I mean, there was a few uh, other exceptions, but this, I mean, a main character. And this this is the other thing. Not just not just a black person as a main character on the, on the thing and as a member of the bridge crew, but also a woman who is a member of the bridge crew, which was also mm-hmm. pretty groundbreaking at the time. Uh, and this, I mean, of course, this Gene Roddenberry was totally what he was going for. Um, and he specifically made her a um, sort of a almost like a the communications person, almost like a telephone operator, because he thought that people would accept that role. Uh, even though she was a bridge crew, they'd be like, oh, okay, because women did, you know, monitor the, you know, did the telephone operations. <laughs> so he thought it would, people would accept it. It wouldn't be quite so controversial, but he did. This was, he wanted not just a woman, he wanted a black woman as a member of the bridge crew um, as sort of uh, for this very reason. So yeah, and uh, yeah, then Goldberg, of course, when, when Star Trek Next Generation came about, she didn't, the first season, she didn't uh, try to get a role or anything, uh, but then once the second season, she heard that the Denise Crosby had quit, you know, Tasha Yar's character um, had quit. So she thought, oh, maybe there'll be like an opening for another another woman character. And so she uh, asked LeVar Burton, who I think they were on the, was it the color purple together or something before? But anyways, they were friends. Uh, I don't they were friends, thing. however, however that. And she asked him to ask them if she could have a, have a part. And they thought she was joking. Um, they thought he was joking. And it was just like she was she was very famous. Yeah, she time, wasn't right? like her peak of her fame because that was that probably happened starting around Ghost, you know, like when she won the Academy Award there for mm-hmm. in 1990. So it was pretty close. But it was when she was on the up and coming and she was in movies. And at the time there was I mean, it's not so much now, but at the time there was a huge stigma. Like if you made it in movies, you don't go back to TV because that might hurt your career. And it's, it's kind of a stigma of being a TV star versus a movie. The movie was considered greater, so they thought, no, she's probably, this is probably just a prank. No way would she want to. She's just started to make a name for herself in movies. She's not going to want to come and do a TV show. And so, yeah, so she she says she called them. Uh, she called them to actually talk in person, although the, uh, what was his name? Executive producer Rick Berman, he, he said he thought he remembers it being her agent uh, that called. But anyways, to set up a lunch between uh, Rick Berman, Gene Roddenberry, and her to actually convince them she wanted on the show and she wanted also to talk about what role she might take. And she wanted, she initially, she also heard that Gates McFadden had left because um, McFadden was, of course, upset about her development of her character with, a, it was supposed to be like a romantic attachment to Jean-Luc Picard and it was supposed to be like have a lot of development stuff and she wasn't getting any of that and not getting a lot of screen time. I didn't know that, really. Is that why she left? Because she came yeah, back. Yeah, she did though. come back later and uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, at the time that was why she initially, I think she actually got fired, but it was, she was a lot of, uh, a dissension between that she was always arguing about she wanted more more develop her character just wasn't being developed and you know this was also part of the reason why the the um actress denise crosby for tasha yar also is her character she didn't feel like it was going to develop so she wanted to go pursue other opportunities wow and i didn't know that i didn't know that bit of yeah and things. at the time of course it's not like star trek the next generation was this i mean it was like big in some respects but not like we think of it now uh, so they, you know, didn't really realize where the show was going. But anyways, uh, so Goldberg was like, hey, I could be the new doctor. Um, she was as like a main character. But then they quickly were like, no, because you'd need we'd need you to be available like any given week. And she couldn't do that, of course. 
Um, cause they didn't, they didn't really yeah. know what story was coming the next day. Cause they, they wrote them, you know, like that, uh, with different writers working on stuff. So it wasn't like all planned out like the whole season or whatever uh-huh. at first. Not like, uh, the new Star Trek. Cause a lot of TV yeah. shows today are episodic. Yeah. Is it, uh, which is, uh, episodics where there's a theme throughout the whole season, yeah, right? Yeah. Or is it the other way around? I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. Uh, like nowadays it's like, you need to know what's happening each, each yeah. like episode. Yeah. But back then it was kind of like, you know, one a week, different story. You can just jump Yeah, in. exactly. And so that's, that's what they were doing. And so they, she couldn't commit to that. So then they decided they were creating the 10 forward, uh, thing. Cause they wanted a place for the characters to just chat. Um, you know, the crew members to be able to have just casual chats and mingle and stuff. And so they were like, Hey, why don't you could be the bartender? Um, so yeah, so that could, you know, she could come on when needed there. And even if she wasn't around, they could have a different bartender, no problem. Um, so that's how she got that. And, you know, I always remember watching it as a kid and it would always be uh, when Whoopi Goldberg was in the episode, it would be like special guest mm-hmm. star mm-hmm. or something. And that way you knew she's more famous than the yeah. guest yeah. stars. It's <laughs> not like people who are appearing that way. Yeah. yeah. And so um, if we go back, though, to the what, uh, Nichelle Nichols, uh, the, the person who played Uhura, she actually was also, you know, speaking of, of women leaving Star Trek roles, in the first season, she was actually thinking of leaving the show because she wanted to go return to stage acting. And I assume it was probably mm-hmm. also a lot of uh, negative publicity and stuff probably hard to play that character i would imagine with the stuff probably that was getting said in the press and everything um so anyways she wanted yeah. to go uh, be a stage actor instead um and she she actually told gene roddenberry she was quitting and uh, then the very next day she goes to an naacp event and and hears that a big star trek fan wants to talk to her uh, and it turns out uh, the, the, none other than Martin Luther King Jr. walks up to her. Um, yeah, and so she, ha- she has a great quote about uh, her conversation with him. I looked across the room and there was Dr. Martin Luther King walking towards me with this big grin on his face. He reached out to me and said, Yes, Ms. Nichols, I am your greatest fan. He said that Star Trek was the only show that he and his wife Coretta would allow their three little children to stay up and watch. Yeah, and so then, of course, she very guessing she didn't quit. yeah very, she very awkwardly told him she was leaving the show and and uh, and then oh. he had a, his response to her uh, made her change her mind he said to her you can't don't you understand for the first time we're seen as we should be seen you don't have a black role you have an equal role yeah when so yeah she naturally she went then and told roddenberry she had changed her mind and she also said interestingly when she because you know this was kind of the point of that character he was trying to make a statement and uh, when she told him what Martin Luther King Jr. said, apparently Roddenberry broke down and cried. This is a very uplifting yeah. story. That's yeah. nice. And so uh, also noteworthy is Nichols would later go on to work for NASA, actually, as a recruiter. Really? Yeah, she, she did oh, for a while. And she good. recruited uh, quite a lot of the, uh, she recruited the, recruited the first black man to go to space, which was Colonel uh, Gian Bluford. And then, uh, then mm-hmm. McNair, who, who we mentioned before. And then also mm-hmm. the first uh, American woman in space and the second American woman in space. So that was Sally Ride and Judith Resnick. And uh, yeah, and Resnick actually also died on the Challenger ex- explosion, unfortunately, along with McNair. We were doing so well. It was like, this is great, because I see this as our last bonus fact today, and I'm like, oh, this is a nice... uh." And then Rodenbury (laughs) cried, and it's all like, oh, good. Everything is right in the world. (laughs) And no. (laughs) <laughs> yeah had to bring up challenge yeah, yeah which i actually went to my one of my grade schools i went to the christy mcculliffe elementary school it was named after uh the teacher oh the was she yeah the she teacher? was the teacher yeah. that got to go there you go um that was a good episode oh is that is that i, I see now we i see a little note follow-up and feedback yeah. so i assume we're we're wrapped yeah, on that's up where that's where i cut myself off for now maybe maybe like later it. we'll circle back to space yeah. i hope so i hope so um 
yeah, and bonus facts, guys, uh, who are listening. Let us know how we, if you if you like this, you can drop us an email or a uh, podcast, pod, podcast at todayfoundout.com or on our forums, forums.todayfoundout.com. And let us know how you like it, how we're doing. I, we, speaking of follow-up, I think a lot of the follow-up we get is that people like the fact that we listen and do follow-up mm-hmm. on people's ideas, like moving the follow-up. How many times can I say follow up in one <laughs> sentence? It's a lot. Uh, moving it to the end, because I think, I don't know why we didn't think of this before. It's like for regular viewers who want to come in, uh, listeners who want to come in and listen, then having the follow up at the beginning makes sense because they heard everything last mm-hmm. time. But if anyone is just tuning in, like they randomly do to a podcast, which is what I've done for every podcast I've ever discovered. If we've got like half an hour of talking about stuff I have no idea about at the mm-hmm. beginning, it's not exactly a brilliant way to launch into yeah, no. things so no yeah don't know why that took so long we needed someone to actually tell us to yeah. do it so there we yeah. go yeah so uh, anything else we do we have any follow-up from previous episodes i kind of think we're wrapping the space series so i didn't really have any specific notes that i wanted to look up and, and bring back no but, i don't think so do at this stage no one's asked anything uh that i'm aware of other than the the one we did last week with the the woman who was like the peeing standing up thing totally worked so that was that yeah. was that sort of follow-up that was pretty funny <laughs> and good to know apparently it does work it's good to know should we uh should we hit yeah, the reviews sure. and then uh then move towards uh closing this yeah. episode yeah. Uh, i've got one here from k one troba i, no. I guess um on, on itunes says spent eight hours binge listening to your fab podcasts totally amazing and fascinating love the casual and fun loving presentation style and chemistry between david and simon to david and simon i listen to yours and all podcasts via pocket cast check it out and so if you're a lover of fun knowledge subscribe and dive in totally recommend this podcast wait was this on itunes or pocket cast i thought this was on itunes this must have been i must have pulled this from somewhere else or maybe they just went to iTunes to, to, to ring in. But yeah, PocketCast. Because the, the iTunes is valuable. We love those Yeah, I specifically reviews. wanted to put this one in, though, because the, the mention of the pod, PocketCast, because I had not heard of that one. And apparently, sounds good, mm. I guess. Another option in Android. I think, I think it's one you had to pay for. Oh. And I was like, I don't know if I want to spend that 79 p. <laughs> yeah, God, I'm cheap. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, I got another one on CastBox. Tammy Tillery says, love the format. I had never listened to a podcast before, but followed you over from YouTube. I'm shocked that your followers are so lopsided. I will gladly represent, ah, represent the ladies, of course, Tammy. Uh, I like the format. I'm not as big a fan of the interviews. The cadence is different. Just different. I added my own dramatic emphasis there. Tammy, I hope that was appropriate. The depth of your research is fantastic. I like when you give research material references and when you verify the Google search. The attention to detail and laid-back conversation style are what set you apart from the other channels I have tried. Thank you for the steady stream of material. Keep up the good work. Mm -hmm. We will. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to follow up, I I do have one piece Mm -hmm. of follow-up, and that's, you know, the regularity. Mm -hmm. I think with this episode wrapped and with another one recording next week, we're probably going to be on for like a solid week, four weeks mm-hmm. of an episode yeah. a week. Yeah. And so keep expecting that, folks. Yeah. And hopefully at some point more, but we'll we'll see how it goes. It's been a little tricky, yeah. but uh, we're working mm-hmm. on it. I think ideally stepping it up to two a week would be great. Yeah. yeah. As long as we keep it good. Yeah. And I think that's, we're quite keen that's on the key. Like that's, that's, the, that's, that's really the problem because it's, it's so much work. And uh, then, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add before we call it? No, I think that's everything. 
Grant. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Do leave us a review. As always, I, I would say when we get to 200 reviews on iTunes, we're going to go through all of the podcasting, big podcasting platforms and pull out someone at random to win a $200 Amazon gift card or whatever the equivalent in your local Amazon currency is. And two runners up at 50 each. And I think that's all. Mm-hmm. Forums, email us, mm-hmm. say hi. We, we sound really lonely. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Say hi. Podcast at todayfm.com. Um, that's all, everybody. I will, uh, and David, we'll see you next time. Guess what I did lately? First man on the moon.